Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle. I'm Bobby Osinski, and this is a show all about music, music production, and the music business. Today is part two of my interview with legendary engineer producer Ken Scott. First of all, the major record labels and TikTok have negotiations over their license agreements coming up. And it looks like negotiations are going to be difficult. The labels actually want a deal like they have with YouTube, but the way it is now is TikTok pays a flat fee, and then that's divided up and distributed by the labels to all of its artists. The labels obviously would rather be paid on advertising, so there'd be a bigger pool to be paid from. So TikTok wants to see if it can get by without label licensing, so it's doing a six-week test in Australia. In case you don't know, tech companies often use Australia for their tests because it's rather small and it's English-speaking, so it's a good testbed for them. What TikTok is doing is it's limiting the amount of licensed music that you can encounter on the platform if you live in Australia. Now, this doesn't apply to all Australian users, and it's not the same for them all. But that said, most of the face these limitations are very unhappy so far. What happens is, if you're trying to create a video, there's just not as much music content that you can pull from. And if there are videos already made that have some of this licensed music content, the sound is muted on them. So as you can tell, there's a lot of people upset down there. Now, even though it seems like it, many close to TikTok say it's not really a negotiating point. TikTok is just studying trends and how users access the platform at different points and how happy they are. But it sure looks like the company wants to see if it can get by without major label music, and they want to find that out before negotiations begin. Now, you're probably aware that TikTok has spent years playing up how important music is on its platform, so it's really unlikely to see them taking about face on this. When you consider that there were 430 songs that passed 1 billion views just last year, and over 175 charted on the Billboard Hot 100 charts, you can see that it's not in anyone's best interest for new licensing deals not to happen. That said, TikTok is gathering information before it begins negotiations, so you can bet this is going to be a hard fight. If you have any comments or questions, you can send them to questions at bobbyosinski.com. Also, I'm pleased to announce that the fifth edition of my Mixing Engineer's Handbook is now available. It's totally updated and includes new sections on mixing and immersive audio, self-mastering, new mixer interviews, and much more. Get your copy at a special discounted price at bobbyosinski.com forward slash handbook. That's bobbyosinski.com forward slash handbook. You can also find it on Amazon and Apple Books. And remember, you can learn all about the latest in music, audio, and production news when you sign up for my newsletter at bobbyosinski.com. There you'll also find out about openings for my latest online classes and special events. That's bobbyosinski.com. Now our favorite huge music retailer, Guitar Center, appears to be in financial trouble again. You might recall back that there was quite a few years of financial woes and then Guitar Center seemed to stabilize itself after a short bankruptcy in 2021. Then, thanks to the pandemic, the company started to grow and even opened new stores, which is a great sign for everybody that wants to see a strong music retailer like this. It looks like the financial problems are back, though, 
as Moody's rating service has dropped the company's creditworthiness from a B2 to B3. Now, AAA is the very top, and the lowest you can go is C, so this is getting really close to a C rating. The way Moody rates this is obligations that are a B are considered speculative and are subject to a high credit risk. Even worse is the fact that Moody's has additionally downgraded the company's rating on a very specific item, its senior secured note, which means the one has to be paid first. They downgraded it to a CAA1 from a B3. Now, a CAA rating is defined as obligations are judged to be of poor standing and are subject to be very high credit risk. Not good. So what happened? Well, sales slowed and its earnings are now so weak that it can't cover the interest payments on all of its outstanding debt. Perhaps the biggest concern expressed by Moody's was what they call governance considerations. So what does that mean? They mean that they're concerned over the fact that Guitar Center is owned by private equity companies and former creditors. And now they may try to take their money out of the company, which would leave Guitar Center vulnerable to collapse. Keep in mind that Guitar Center is still the largest music retailer in the United States. It operates 554 stores and also owns the Music and Arts brand and the Audiovisual Design Group, which was an AV custom integration company. But it's owned by three huge private equity companies that have used massive financial engineering to extract their money. And that's what led to this mess in the first place. We all thought that the trouble was behind Guitar Center, but it appears it only might just be starting. My guest this week is legendary engineer producer Ken Scott, who has won the five engineers for the Beatles, producer-engineer for four of the most revered David Bowie albums, and engineered and produced seminal albums for Elton John, Supertramp, Duran Duran, America, Missing Persons, and many more. Ken was also instrumental in giving the sound of progressive jazz a much harder edge with his work with Jeff Beck, Maravishnu Orchestra, Stanley Clark, and Billy Cobham. As I said during part one last week, I was lucky enough to work with Ken on his memoir, Abbey Road to Ziggy Stardust, and we even did a project in the studio together, so I didn't want to cover any old ground again during this interview. In part two of the two-part interview, we spoke about the acts he turned down that went on to become huge, the influence George Martin had on him, working with David Bowie, watching Elton write Rocket Man, how today is like the pre-Beatles era, and much more. I spoke with Ken via Zoom from his home studio in the UK. What was the best project you were ever on? When you look back and go, boy, that was, uh, nothing can beat that. There isn't one. No. It's it's 90% of of what I've worked on has been a blast. There have been a couple of things that they started off good and, and soured a little, generally because of management or record company. Now, it, it's I can't pick a favorite recording I, I ever did. I, I, uh, no, I can't pick a favorite artist I've worked with. There, there are certain th- Bowie was the best vocal performer I've ever worked with. Much as I adore Jeff Beck, I think, uh, I think Steve Morse of Dixie Dregs and uh, who was he? Uh, Deep Purple, I think he went on to play with yeah, as well. Yeah. He's probably the best guitarist I've ever worked with just because he covers such a wide style 
I had great fun doing the the Dave Rollins album in in Nashville, uh, Poor David's Almanac. That all to tape, just a few mics, live most of it. That that was a guess. Uh, and such nice people. Ah, uh, just yeah. So no, it, it, I can pull out bits from from so many that that I've I've enjoyed. Okay, let's go the other direction. What was the worst one? No. Not going there. <laughs> All I can say is you would never have heard of the acts. They ne they never meant anything. But that tells you something, doesn't it? Oh, believe me, it, it, I knew going along that uh, when when things started to go wrong, and one of them had already had a huge hit, and the, the manager got involved and. Uh, Went downhill from there. Did we talk about this in the book? I'm not sure. We may have done. Yeah, yeah. He came. He came in when it came to mixing. Three days into mixing, he came in with a whole bunch of of albums, and said, "We're going to listen to these before before we do any mixing." What do you mean? We've already done three days of mixing. Oh no, we've got to listen to these so that I can check the monitors. God, I walked. That that was it. I walked. I, I wasn't wasn't even going to try and, and combat that one. I think that is in the book, actually. Now I think yeah, about okay. it. It's been a while. Do uh, you remember the artist? No, no, I don't. Okay. <laughs> Was there something that you wished you, you would have done, never got a chance to? Yeah, well, yes, one, which I think we mentioned in the book, which was the Hollies. Mm, yeah. They, they were always so impressive to me vocally. When Graham was up, I think they lost something when Graham left. He such a unique voice, and just they still had it when we got together in Graham's studio in LA. It, it, it's they still had it, and then getting the material together for it, and then slowly but surely they become less interested, and it just fell by the wayside. That I would have loved to have done. Interestingly enough, just a couple of days ago, I was thinking about the acts that I turned down that became successful. Let's see, there was uh. Well, there was Horn and Oates. <laughs> there was, oh, Aerosmith. Wow. They were really pushing, CBS were really pushing Aerosmith. No one wanted to work with them for, for a while there. It, it, this was very early on, before they'd become successful. And who was the other one? Jo, uh, jo, uh, I can't remember. You know, um, an early mentor of mine was Adrian, can't think of his last name. Right? Um, Not Carriage. No, because no, that would be England. Uh, no, for Aerosmith, he, oh. he he did Aerosmith's first album. Okay, and this guy was an absolute nutcase. He was barely sane. And to show you how how true that is, he later went to jail for torch torching a guy's apartment <laughs> in New York wow. City. Yeah, but uh, sounds perfect for Aerosmith yeah, back yeah. in those days. <laughs> Right, yeah, it's a good combination. But he was the person that allegedly found him, took him in the studio, and you know, yeah. the first album, which nothing yeah. happened until three years or four years later. Yeah. No, I happened to. I was watching uh, uh, Jeff Beck at the Hollywood Bowl video that was was on TV the other day, celebrating his life basically. And uh, that, what, uh, what's his name, lead singer of Aerosmith, came out and and sang a couple of songs. I'm amazed he can still sing the way he does. Yeah, he's, no he's kidding. Amazing! Wow. But Jeff is uh, such a 
it's it's not a loss because we've still got all of his music, which is incredible. But uh, one does have to wonder how much more he could have come up with. But uh, it's fine. No, he was, yeah, Jeff was something else. When you look back at working with the Beatles, what was your biggest takeaway that maybe stays with you today? Uh, it, it wasn't so much from them as George Martin, because what it what I did not realize at the time, George's role, I I, I was very much he's the fifth Beatle, oh, he's doing nothing, and it took me a long time. I was into production before I realized there was there was a, a an interview for the BBC that Bowie did. And they asked him, what's it like working with Ken Scott? And he said, he's my George Martin. And when I heard it, I hit the roof. I did far more than George Martin <laughs> ever did. Then I started to put two and two together. And the two people I, I learned production from, George and Gus Dudgeon. And what I learned from them is basically the thing of talent is put into the studio to do one thing, and that's to create. And you have to allow the talent the freedom to create always knowing that if it's going too far in the wrong direction, you you as the producer can then coax them back to where it was working and move on from there. And that's that's very much the way I do it. I, I want them to come up with, the act to come up with the ideas all the time. I'm much better at saying, no, it's not working, or yeah, that was great, than actually c coming up with, why don't we try this, why don't we try that kind of thing. It, it, it's... It's always a collaboration as far as I'm concerned. It's always teamwork. Every, everything good comes from teamwork. How about Bowie? Teamwork. Absolutely. Yeah. He, and, and he was the, the, the classic team player because he, one of his great talents was putting the correct people together for what he was after at any given point with, with Trevor, Woody, Rono, myself and as it turns out with, with rick wakeman for hunky dory gave him exactly what he wanted for that then moving on to ziggy it was still keeping the basic rhythm section and me gave him exactly what he wanted and it was one of those things we we there was no discussion about we're, we're doing it this way we're doing it that way i wanted to sound like this when it sound like that it was just come in with the song and let everyone do what they do because he knew that they would give him what he was after then when it came time to he wanted to to change to the American sound. He'd just take on a bunch of American musicians that would give him exactly what he was after. And a lot of them I know have said that it's just he would teach us the song and they say, okay, get on with it, which is brilliant. Yeah. And and it, it it's controlling, but not controlling, if you know what I mean. It, yeah. It's controlling in a very free form way. Put the right people together and you don't have to control them. Was he ever, ever around for the mixing? No. He came to two mixes. He came to uh, one of the songs on, on Aladdin Sane, I can't remember what it was, and he came in. The last studio recording I did with, with David were, was something which was supposedly for Diamond Dogs. And it was a collaboration of two, what finished up being two individual songs on, on Diamond Dogs. It was... Uh, Dodo stroke 1984, mm. or 1984 stroke, stroke do, Dodo. And uh, we did that at Trident. And when we were mixing it, he came in and he kept on reverting to, I always say it was Barry White records, but it was the Philadelphia sound 
records that he kept on saying, I want it to sound like that. I want it to sound like that. And of course, it, it, it was English musicians, English studio, an English engineer producer. It wasn't going to sound like that. The only way it would sound like that is go to America, American musicians, and you'll get it. And that's what he did. He, he knew, even going into Diamond Dogs, he knew what he, want, what he was moving into, which was brilliant. He, al- he always knew what he wanted to move into and knew when to do it correctly. And wasn't scared and wasn't scared of going into uh, of, oh, they're not going to like it, but that's fine. I'm making records that I want, I would like to listen to, which, which is the way to do it. It's not your, there are very, very few people that can make records for everyone else. It's the, 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 the the craft is making records that you like and then hoping that other people like it. Yeah. That's a real, the definition of a real artist. Yeah. Really. I just finished Elton's book, and it made me think of your story of him writing Rocket Man. And he mentions it oh, yeah. a little bit in the book, but not it doesn't yeah. elaborate. But I thought that was the most fantastic thing that, that and it probably was to be there. Absolutely, didn't really think anything of it at the time. It, it's looking back on it that God, he did that in ten minutes, just after breakfast when we were all there. It just that that that. The, the talent that came out of this small island, out of the Second World War, because we, we're all around about the same age, uh, and we all came out of, we all grew up with bomb sites that we'd play on, and and not being able to buy sugar and rationing and all of that kind of thing, uh, and for whatever reason, and I guess because of what, how America was changing, the whole thing of rock and roll starting in America, and as it was infiltrating over here. It just brought up this this talent that is never going to happen again. Like the, you you think of the, the the number of incredible guitarists, all that came out that that same time from Beck, Clapton, Page, uh, Pete, uh, who uh, Pete Townsend. Uh, it goes on. We're all the same, and George Harrison, of course. We're all around about the same age, and producers that came out at that time, and pianists and songwriters and just unbelievable now that being said so we, you moved to la and then the music was different the era was different yeah and you did missing persons which was a departure but in between there you'd done the the uh the prog rock sort of thing with maravishnu and everything but uh, I, I wouldn't have thought <laughs> i would never have classified prog rock no. as prog rock but jazz fusion yeah jazz fusion the prog rock, for some reason, I still wouldn't see why it's classified as that, but the prog rock was uh, Supertramp and an American band called Happy to Man. The, when you were doing Missing Persons, it, that was a departure, or it seemed like it, just in terms of culture feel. It, look, I, I basically, I do the same every time. What changes are the musicians? I, I always tell a story of when you and I were working together in the studio. And we had two last two songs to record the tracks to. We're down at Total Access. And we sat down with the drummer. I can't remember his name, but we said we needed two different drum sounds. And he came in the next day with two completely different drum sets. We decided which song we were gonna do first, which track, mic'd them all up, got levels. We recorded the first track, got it pulled all the mics back, set up the new kit, moved the mics in, 
and I didn't change a thing. And it was a completely different sound and feel. And it's funny you should bring that up because I use that all the time as well. I use that story because yeah. it taught me something. It taught me that you were EQing the microphones and you weren't EQing the instrument, which makes yeah. so much more sense. You're taking the, the uh, inefficiencies of the microphone, the inadequacies out. Inadequacies of a 67? No way. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> no, it's always the same. I did my I did my experimentation a long time ago. And one of the things that I was always saying to, to the students, and I did that with the Beatles. That that was why no one's ever going to have the training that I had. Because number one, Abbey Road, all the different styles of music that were coming through and being able to learn from seven of the greatest engineers around at the time. That side of it. But then the first band I ever work with being the Beatles, who never wanted anything to sound the same way twice. And they had no time problems or anything like that. They were into experimentation. So I got all of my experimentation done with the biggest fucking band in the world. It's ridiculous. No one's ever going to have that again. And I say to the, I've said so many times to the students at university that make the use of all of the rooms that you have here to experiment and find your own sound. Because once you get out into the real world, it then costs money every hour you're in the studio and to experiment at that point, unless you have exactly the right band, as I did, it, it, you're not going to be able to do it. On the other hand, that's all changed as well because there are fewer bands, point, yeah. fewer studios. Everybody has a home studio and they're recording to loops. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> right, <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And music is, is uh, the worst for it, I think. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you, you could look at it, and I hope it's a cycle that we're going through. And it's like, okay, we did that, and now let's let's do something else, and the something else is maybe going back to I, real players. I, I, I see a lot of it at the moment as being like pre, pre-Beatles, where it was manufactured singers, manufactured artists, singing pop songs and it, it was all very singles oriented uh which is what we're going through with 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 the, the dropping a new track on friday mm-hmm. and then the following friday dropping a new track on friday it just there is no excitement about music anymore it's just uh, we've got it to the point where it's background music because it's it's so just manipulated and which is the way it was prior to the beatles generally then they came along and changed everything and i'm a firm believer that the Beatles or the the modern day equivalent of the Beatles are going to come along again at some point and just change everything. Uh, I'm a firm believer in talent, and I think talent will win out in the end. Uh, it's it's becoming more and more difficult because of the the pay streams uh, for streaming. It, it, it's they can't make money. The young acts. It's it's getting worse and worse. And now with uh, suddenly America has decided that they're they're going to start. They have, I think it's quadrupled the amount that an English act has to pay to come to the States to play. They, they, a young band's not going to be able to afford it. So it, it, it's it's becoming harder and harder and harder for, for young acts to do anything, even though now they don't have to record in a studio. But that really doesn't, it, it's, you still need to make money from playing live, which doesn't happen very often these days, from merchandising, from... Uh, from sales of, of your music. 
But that's it's even worse in the UK because of Brexit, where you have the same problem going out of the country to Europe. Yeah, it's. I'm of mixed feelings about that. It always used to be fine. Uh, it, it, it that getting carnets and all of that kind of thing was never a problem before. So it, it it can be worked on. Yes, it does make it more difficult. I absolutely agree. But that that's something that's as such has been forced on the UK by the EU as opposed to anything else. So it's yeah, it, Brexit caused it, but it's because of Belgium, the people that the the as far as I'm concerned, the crooks in Belgium, uh, that try, because they they don't like the fact that we left, they're forcing that more and more. Belgium, and, uh, really? Sorry, I, I I didn't realize realize that Belgium was leading the charge there. Well, that's where that's where the EU is situated. Oh, oh I see. Okay, right, right, right. Got it. Yeah, got it. Sorry, we 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 think about just talking about Belgium yeah. because, as the <laughs> EU. Kind yeah, of got thing. it. Got it. Got Brussels, it. Brussels. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But it's yeah, it's it's tough all round. In in, and yet there are still certain artists that are making a fortune off of one, and that's that's another bone of contention for me. The amount of money once you become successful, the amount of money you can make off of one album, you never have to work again. Yeah, if it becomes successful, unlike the the, the Beatles. <laughs> I remember being told at one point they made more money off of Abbey Road once uh, their manager, I can't remember his name at the point. I think they tried to forget his name as much as possible as well. Oh, Alan Klein. Uh, once he went, Alan, yes. Yeah. One, once he went in and renegotiated, they made more money on Abbey Road than they made all of the other albums put together because they were on a pittance. They, yes, they they made good money, but it wasn't anywhere close to what is made by a, an, a, a big selling artist. A big streaming artist these days. You know, uh, Rupert Perry. Oh, I love Rupert. We have lunch frequently. And oh, please give him my best. I will. The, our next lunch is coming up soon, so I will. But uh, I asked him once, I said, how many records did the Beatles actually sell? And he went, 800 million? A billion? Two billion? We don't know. <laughs> and how do you get paid if the record label doesn't even know? Yeah. And a lot of it had to do with the fact that there were, were all these ancillary deals in other countries and no one kept track of some of them. And yeah, in many cases there was, you know, a lot of piracy. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Ken, last question. What's the best piece of advice that maybe you learned along the way, or maybe somebody imparted to you? Uh, what, what, I, what I always tell to students if I'm giving advice, it will be to someone that's that's trying to break in, as opposed, to, and it's write a letter. It's if it, once you get out of university or the school that you're going to or whatever, and you're looking for a gig out there, if you want to work in a studio, of which there are very few these days, but if you want to work in a studio, then hand write a letter to the manager, because we all get emails all the time, and most of it just goes straight into the trash. Oh, another, oh, someone else wants a job. Okay, fine, into the trash. And just goes, it disappears. Whereas a letter is so unusual these days. That they were, God, someone's actually written to me? This, this is, oh, I've got to put that to one side. And they put it to one side. And then when they're thinking of, oh, we've got to get someone new in. Oh, that letter, let me take another look at that. Let me call them in and see. So that, that look, that's what got it for me. And I think that still works. I've actually been told by studio managers that 
it works for them. If they get a letter, it's that much more important than getting a, a an email. So that that would be it. Back to the future. <laughs> In so many ways, yeah. It's, I know. But look, the the problem is we are losing so much of the past. We don't ha- they they we don't have to completely forget about the past and just the future because they can they they do work together and can give you something that much better. Thanks for listening and being in my inner circle. Remember, if you have any questions or comments, you can send them to questions at bobbyosinski.com. Remember that you can learn all about the latest in music, audio, and production news when you sign up for my newsletter at bobbyosinski.com. There, you'll also find out about openings for my latest online classes and special events. That's bobbyosinski.com. To listen to the episodes of Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle, go to bobbyosinski.com and select the podcast tab, or go to bobbyoinnercircle.com, or you can find it on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, Mixcloud, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, TuneIn Radio, Radio Public, and Podbean. At bobbyosinski.com and bobbyowinnercircle.com, you'll also find a sign-in form for my newsletter and for alerts for new podcasts. This is Bobby Osinski. I will see you next time. Bye.